Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by April Wright, the director of a fun new documentary uh, called Back to the Drive-In. April, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so Back to the Drive-In takes a look at the uh, kind of the COVID era resurgence and in interest in drive-in theaters uh, and the challenges that these drive-in landmarks face, faced, continue to face, uh, both because of COVID and other stuff, but yeah, it, it was funny. I was looking at your 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 bio on IMDb. This isn't your first movie about drive-ins. Uh, back in 2013, uh, you had Going Attractions, the definitive story of the American drive-in. What is it about these landmarks that uh, so appeal to you? Well, I went to them growing up, and then as I got older, I noticed a lot of them were closing. A lot of them were sitting abandoned for a while before they got torn down. Um, I grew up in the Chicago area, and when I lived there, I would actually drive out of my way to visit some of these drive-ins that were closed and in bad condition, and I just couldn't understand what happened to them. How could they be allowed <laughs> to look this bad? And, um, you know, it, it just, I was like, we love cars, we love movies, why wouldn't this combination continue? And so um, I did want to follow that as a topic, and then when I started making films, I thought it would make a good documentary. So the first one is about the whole history of drive-ins from the invention to the heyday, which was in the 50s, and then all the ups and downs. And for this film, I wanted to, as the title says, go back to the drive-in, um, because I really wanted to go behind the scenes a little more and uh, visit some of the owners, because most of the drive-ins that are left are family-owned businesses. So I wanted to um, show all the passion that goes into keeping these places alive. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the drive-in because I find this really fascinating. I mean, you see the 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 rise of the drive-in kind of a, kind of if my understanding anyway. I I could be entirely wrong. I want to. I should. You got to watch my run first this, movie. <laughs> run this by you. I know. I I wish I wish I had had a little more time. But uh, the but the uh, my understanding is that the the rise of the drive-in basically coincides with the fifties and sixties rise of the teenager as as an ideal. The the rise of car culture in general. Um, and uh, then it kind of starts to decline in the nineteen eighties with the rise of multiplex culture, which you know is a mm -hmm. huge change to the business. Um, how how did that... right on that. Let me give you one small correction. Okay. Yeah. They really took off right after World War II, and it was really the baby boomers um, that uh, when they were all born after World War II, um, uh, we didn't really have television yet in homes. And so it was a big deal to get in your car and go places. And you did have like drive-in restaurants with car hops. You also had drive-in movies. And there was uh, like the GI Bill after the war helped to build out the suburbs and this idea of the two car family. So it really was post-World War II, the baby boom is when the drive-ins really thrived because there was about a hundred of them before World War II and then it jumped to a thousand and then it jumped to 5,000. And then the teens were those baby boomers that got older going in the fifties in and the sixties. So that part is correct. Um, but it really started a little earlier. And then when you get into the 80s, not just multiplexes, but you had cable TV, you had VHS, you had all these things that were competing that were taking some of these B movies that were playing at drive-ins. By that time, um, there was other markets for it. So it was all it was a convergence of things in the 40s. And then it was a convergence of things in the 80s. 
but you had like 40 really strong years right in the middle there. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, it is fascinating. It is fascinating from a culture perspective. And you mentioned the B movies because this is the other thing. It, when I think of a drive-in in my head, I think of I think of like Joe Bob Briggs and the Last Drive-in, right? I think of that that kind of um, uh, B movie or uh, you know kind of grindhousey type type picture uh, playing, particularly in southern uh, the southern circuits uh, of of America. But you know, I mean, I live in Texas now. One of the things I really found fascinating about your documentaries just how many are around me, right? I like I don't even know about them and I they're they're kind of all around me but not not as close as I would have liked anyway this is neither here nor there um let's talk about uh let's talk about your new documentary because it is a really interesting look at how you know when when COVID happened theaters closed and everyone was like how are we going to see new movies and people were like what about the drive-ins let's go to the drive-ins that's what that's what we should do and they did Kind of, but as you document in your documentary, there were a lot of COVID-era restrictions and that sort of thing as well on the drive-ins, which I found interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, and also, you said go to see new movies. There weren't a lot of new movies coming out during COVID, right? Yeah. Um, there were very few being released into theaters. Everything was getting redirected to the streaming services. So, um, so yeah, uh, drive-ins got definitely a, a little revival, a little bump during COVID depending, it was different depending on each state, of course. Um, some had very few restrictions. Some had to park the cars one space apart to social distance the cars. And that basically put them at half capacity. <laughs> so even though it was good, it was also tough. They had a, additional cleaning protocols also, depending on the state, because the snack bar is kind of akin to a restaurant. If restaurants were not allowed to have people inside, they couldn't either. So they had to set up, you know, pick up at the window services and things that they hadn't really had before. So there was uh, good sides, but there was also a lot of additional requirements, um, depending where you were. Um, and the movies were tough. So a lot of drive-ins played retro movies during COVID. Some new titles came out. A lot of new horror films um, went to drive-ins, like Becky was one that went that I know did really well. Um, but they also played a lot of old stuff. But also drive-ins got, you know, they started having church services, graduations, stand-up comedy, dance recite, all these things, weddings that you couldn't do at an indoor venue. People started doing them at drive-ins. So it was kind of an interesting time. <laughs> Uh, that is interesting. That is interesting. Uh, so why don't you uh, why don't you walk us through this project? How how did you wh what was your what was your planning like? Did you just uh, put a map up on the wall and find all of the drive-ins? Like I'm going to this one, then this one, then this one. How how did that work? Mm -hmm. Well, I had wanted to do a follow up before COVID um, started. I actually went in February 2020 to there. There's a drive-in association that a lot of the drive-ins belong to. And I went to their annual conference in Florida in February of 2020. And I said, Hey, I want to make a follow-up, you know, who might be interested in being in it. So a few of the drive-ins there expressed interest. And at that point I was planning to just have three or four drive-ins and really go deep profiling these families and the fact that they have second jobs and all the things that they're doing to keep them going. But when COVID hit literally a month later, after, after that conversation, um, I realized that it was a bigger thing and that I wanted to show more perspectives. So I increased the number of drive-ins to 10 and I ended up with actually 11 
because I wanted to show more points of view. I wanted to see, is it different in different states or different situations? So I did pick drive-ins that, um, you know, some had a single screen, some had seven screens. I picked different states. I picked some that served alcohol, some that didn't, some that were really old, had been around for decades, some that were brand new, some that were younger owners, some that were older owners, just every factor I could think of to show different perspectives. But the interesting thing, even though there might've been a little difference in the details, but as soon as I got to a few locations, they were all telling me the same thing. They were all saying it's hard to get employees some of the customers are being really unruly <laughs> after they get out of the house, out of lockup. Um, and they're having supply chain issues. They can't get nacho cheese. They can't get popcorn. So um, it, it was really interesting. I expected to find a whole bunch of different things and piece that together by topic. But then I realized, no, they're actually sort of in the same boat going through the same issues. So I didn't expect that. But, but I did pick, you know, as many different reflections of drive-ins that I could. Yeah. No, it was it was really interesting to hear them talk about issues like uh, retaining employees and just having no-shows and, and that sort of thing and how it was so different as uh, supply chain issues because it really does feel like a microcosm of the American economy in, yeah, this, exactly, one little, right? in this one little sector. That's what I figured, yeah, because, you know, they're family-owned businesses and, and, yeah, it's about the drive-ins, but it's really about what a lot of businesses are going through and have been going through trying to bounce back after after uh, covid. So uh, you mentioned that you mentioned that, you know, these are kind of labors of love, that these are in some cases, second jobs, family jobs. I remember one of the uh, one of the owners talking about how his you know seven year old has sweat equity in the business uh, in the in the documentary, which was very funny. Um uh, when when you talk to them, what was it that that came through about their their love of the drive-in and their desire to keep it going that makes you think that this will this will survive, or maybe makes you think like these things are in very precarious states? Uh, it's it's a it's a it's hard to say that they're going to keep going. No, right? Well, that is part of what I wanted to show. I mean, the whole industry is in flux, and this, you know, the importance of the theatrical experience was tested during COVID when the theaters were closed. So I don't think everybody knows where the chips are quite going to land just yet, although they are optimistic for this, this year, this summer season, which is kind of starting up now. There's a lot more new movies coming out. But, it, but at the same time, even with that, you know, extra attention from COVID, the total number of drive-ins has declined since COVID. There was about 305 going into it. It's definitely below 300 now, and we're just not sure how low it's going to get. Um, so there are some drive-ins closing, like throwing in the towel um, after after these struggles during COVID. There's also a lot changing hands, finding new owners. There's also a lot of new ones coming back from the dead. There's ones that have been sitting vacant for years that are reopening. So there is a ton of activity. I think that's what comes across in the film is you really see the determination that all these people have to keep them going and why they feel like they're so important to their community because they really do get to know the families and the kids in their community that are coming through their their ticket booth. And, um, and they feel like it's valuable to provide that. It's valuable to have a place where families can come and have a good time and create good memories. And they feel like that's very important. And when you watch the film, you feel it's important too, and you really want to root for them to to succeed. Um, so I think that really comes across. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a, a longtime 
booster and defender of movie theaters. I believe they're very important uh, to the industry as a whole, but also just American society. And the the drive-in really is a uh, a fascinating sub culture subcultural part of that. That there is a um, a thriving or maybe not quite thriving uh, uh, segment of the theatrical industry out there that doesn't get a ton of attention. One thing that you mentioned just now, the family experience, that was interesting to me because when I think of, again, when I think of drive-ins, I think of the kind of, again, the the, the grindhousey B yeah. horror you type movies. Yeah, you got the teenage debauchery image in your head. <laughs> right, right. I think I think of like The Outsiders, right? Or, uh, you know, um, uh, movies like that where, where you've got, you know, kind of kids running around, teenagers, teenagers, you know, dirty teens running around causing trouble and mischief and that sort of thing um but it it what what really comes through here is you know these these drive-ins with like playgrounds in them little little mini golf courses you know kind of beer garden Mm -hmm. areas it's a really interesting and diverse kind of uh look at at every 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 one of these these ideas yeah and and that's funny the image that you have because the drive-ins did start for families, like I was telling you with the baby boom in, in the, the 40s and the 50s. And that's really, they're really full circle back to that now. They're very family oriented. The films that do the best are the animated films and the comic book films and those types of things really draw the crowds. And, you know, drive-ins are pretty big compared to normal theaters. When you think about it, like the typical stadium seating in a multiplex is 250 seats. And a lot of these drive-ins, they might have capacity for, you know, if they say they have 500 capacity, two per car, maybe two more if it's kids, they're bringing in literally, they need a movie that's going to bring in thousands of people, right? And so those movies do. Um, that phase with the, I mean, they, they do play horror too. And and I think um, a lot of drive-ins figured out that they could do business with horror films during the pandemic. Cause that was one of the few things that were being released um, from some of the smaller studios um, during the pandemic. But that phase um, it was kind of seventies, eighties kind of on the, the edge of that decline. And I think part of that just happened those B movies because drive-ins couldn't get primary product because everything was still on a film print then. And so, um, you know, they were going to the indoors and the drive-ins wouldn't get them to later. And if they did get them, they were scratched up by that time. So that's where some of that imagery comes from. It, it did exist. Also, same kind of thing with Grindhouse was in old movie palaces, those huge, um, you know, ornate uh, that mostly were in city, city areas that were playing the black exploitation films or the, the Grindhouse type films. Um, they were playing those products, too, because they had a hard time also getting... Um, the primary product. So, so that, that definitely was a phase for sure. Yeah. And you, you've also made a mo- documentary about the, uh, the movie. The movie too, right? Yeah. yeah. That, I've done a lot of cinema history <laughs> documentaries. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's, I've got to check that one out too. Uh, this is, I've done, I'm poorly researched here. This is a, a, a I'm, <laughs> I'm bringing shame upon myself and my profession. And I also um, did one about stunt women. So well, I, 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 films. So I, I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about that at the end. We'll come. We'll come. We'll come to that okay. at the end because I actually do have a question about that. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, but um, the uh, the uh, so the 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 technology question is a very interesting one to me because there's there's a there's a portion in the film where um, uh, one of the owners is talking about changing over from 35 millimeter to 
digital projection and how that, you know, she kind of misses the whirring, ticking sound of the, the 35 millimeter, but the, the DCPs are actually pretty convenient, um, all told. How has that impacted the, uh, the, uh, world of drive-ins because I feel like that is a that's a real that's that's both an equalizer and also um, you know just kind of another cost increase another another change to the to the business model that could make yeah. things harder. When I made my first documentary, which came out in um, ten years ago, it's ten year anniversary of my first drive-in documentary, and when I was shooting that, that was the big question: was the conversion to digital because there was financial incentives for the multiplexes, but not for these mom and pop type theaters. Um, they were kind of left behind, and so it was a huge question whether they would be able to make that conversion. And all the studios were saying, "Oh, we're going to stop prints as of X date." You're, you know, you won't have be able to get any product. And finally, there were some programs that got put together that allowed the independent cinemas and the drive-ins to convert. People thought we'd lose every drive-in during that. We lost hardly any. It turned out mm -hmm. not to be an issue. Once these programs came together, they all made that conversion. There's only a couple drive-ins left that are still playing things off of film. Um, most of them are digital. Now, interestingly, when I went on the road to make this movie, um, out of the 11 I went to, three of the 11 had already converted to laser projection or put in laser projection, which, um, you know, and, and now this year, like the AMCs are converting to that. So the drive-ins are actually way ahead of the curve on that technology. And some of it is because they're outdoors and they have a really big throw um, to get from their projection room to that screen. Um, the, this better quality digital equipment helps. You can actually see a digital picture way better on a drive-in screen. There, it's not as sensitive to the ambient light as a film projection is. So, um, when that switch happened, the picture improved at drive-ins and I think with digital the same. Um, so that technology helps. And then of course the, um, you know, the, the sound box that you'd put in your window, the speaker box. Um, those went away in the early 80s. Everything switched to radio sound, and it's still radio sound today. So it's kind of cool when every car is playing the, the sound of the movie. It does create an auditorium where you just hear the sound everywhere. It's kind of cool. Um, but a few drive-ins, I showed one in the film, they do maintain their speakers so that people can have that experience, and the sound also gets run through those. And, and a handful of drive-ins kept their speakers or kept a couple rows, so you can find them out there. But from a technology perspective, um, I people are always surprised when I tell them these things because they think drive-ins are behind the times and they're more of a retro experience, but they're really not. The The movie experience is really high quality. Well, the, it's the... the uh, I, I didn't realize that about the the laser projectors. That's really interesting um, to be as a as a projector nerd. Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of fascinating because I I mean I as you mentioned I mean AMC is just isn't going to start making that switchover till 2024 I think or 2025. Like they're they're if uh, assuming AMC still around by then. Um, you know uh, the. Yeah. The uh, but to to know to to hear that so many of them are so many of the drive-ins are already switching over is really yeah kind um, of I was surprised as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, is that I, so you I mean, you mentioned the throw. I mean, this is so this is always, you know, one of the one of the interesting uh, things in, in the documentary you go to. I think it's the the um, the drive in that's located in Cape Cod. 
mm-hmm. where they have the the f word that rolls in. Um, yes. The you know it's very it's very scary God. for them. But I uh, but is that a is that a uh, yeah the fog? I'm sorry, I just a uh, but the yeah. <laughs> but is that a is is that a uh, I mean is is that something that you hear when you talk to patrons that they're worried about, you know, well, how am I going to be able to see it? You know, I, I don't know what the, the quality is going to be like. Is that is that a thing that is keeping people away from the, the drive-ins? Yeah, and I think that's always been a thing um, that, that weather forecasts can scare people off. Um, I did a, a, a press thing with some drive-in owners the other day, and they were saying how, like, you know, on your iPhone or whatever – that it'll put a rain cloud, even if there's a 20% chance and it's in the morning. Right. But that day we'll still get the showers on it. The, you know, the rain cloud emoji. And they said that scares people off because they're making their plans of what they might do. Oh, there's rain on Friday. I'm not going to go to the drive-in when actually there is no rain. It happened at 10 AM and it's a beautiful night. So, um, yeah, what, what, and they used to say weathermen, weather forecasts would hurt the drive-in for the same reason. Um, it is, it, it is a thing. The, the weather, um, sometimes will, will, you know, affect attendance and the drive-ins, it doesn't matter. They play in the rain. They'll play in, they'll play whatever, you know, you can, some people come and see drive-ins in the rain, um, it's kind of a fun experience to be out in your car watching a movie with the rain going around you. Some some do it in the snow. I, I literally was reading today the Ford Wyoming drive-in in uh, Detroit area had posted on their Instagram, we are open tonight. We are working hard to remove the snow. So they were like <laughs> snow, snow plowing their field so they could still show movies tonight. Um, so it doesn't hurt them, but it but people do get scared off by that. They shouldn't. Um, but yeah, it, it's a thing. And the fog is a little different because when it's white, it's, it's white and it's reflecting light everywhere. So you never get dark enough to see the picture that well. That's why yeah. they wait to show drive in after dusk because it has to be dark to see the picture. When fog is there, it's all white, white clouds reflecting and it makes it really hard to see the picture. So yeah. in some cases, if it's severe, they have to shut down and refund the house. And I think that's what he was afraid of throughout um, the yeah. movie. There's a lot of tension whether it's going to work, you know. <laughs> well, there is. I mean, it's it's if you if you watch a documentary and you should um, uh, again, it's back to the drive in. It's uh, on VOD now. It, and there is this very funny, very funny kind of, uh, again, dramatic tension filled moment where a fog bank is rolling in. And it looks like things are going to get wiped out. Uh, again, it's 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 amusing. Um, one of the things uh, one of the things that um, uh, the owners talk about is the sense of camaraderie uh, amongst the the remaining uh, family run operations and the desire to help each other out, making sure that they're still a, a little ways away. Right. You. That that <laughs> is there is there is there a uh, is, I mean how how does that how does that actually work? I mean, are there do 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 are there, I don't know, territories? How does that? How does that actually kind of work? With, <laughs> yeah, with that's these, a funny these... question. So, back in the day, before the internet, <laughs> um, the drive-ins didn't talk to each other. They were very isolated, and rare, rarely did anybody visit another drive-in because 
you had to operate yours if it was a night that you were open. There was no way you could leave and go, you know, drive however many miles to go see what another drive-in was doing. So most drive-ins did operate completely isolated, just doing their own thing. And a lot of them were advertising in the same way. And this is something that started in the 40s and 50s that every drive-in would advertise themselves as having the biggest screen or being the most beautiful drive-in. So when, so when you get into like the 90s and the 2000s when the internet is there and there were some websites starting to compile drive-in data and information and it kind of became this interesting thing where they were like, oh, I thought we had the biggest screen. Oh, no, you have the biggest screen. And they could start to compare notes about, you know, kind of get out of this isolation that they had. Um, and then an association eventually formed, but the association is pretty new. I don't know exactly how many years, but it's maybe around 20 years old. So it's not something that always happened. Um, but now that they're kind of the last of the breed to compare notes has been so valuable. And, um, and yes, a lot of, there are a few areas where drive-ins are close to each other. Um, you know, like in my film, I wanted to show three very different types of drive-ins that are all within the Dallas Fort Worth area. Mm -hmm. So I did visit yep. three there just to kind of show like here, you know, three examples of drive-ins that could not be more different. Um, but here they are. And there's a few places like that where there's a lot of drive-ins left, like in Ohio and Pennsylvania, New York has the most drive-ins left. So there are some within maybe a half hour of each other in those areas. But for the most part, um, they're, there's, they're more few and far between. Um, so most areas might have one drive-in nearby or one if you make, you know, extra ones if you make a further drive. And so, yeah, they're not competing with each other. So I think yeah. at this point, because of the novelty aspect of it, drive-in owners wouldn't want other drive-ins opening really close. That would be direct competition. Um, but it, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, the drive-in association, I mean, what are, are they, are they lobbying? What are, what are they banding together to, I mean, is it, is it just like, uh, yeah, like minds, we're going to hang out and. Yeah. There's a few different groups. So, so you've probably heard of NATO, the, the other NATO, the national mm -hmm. association of theater owners. So, sure. um, so that's sort of the biggest organized group, which includes all theater owners. And then, so a lot of the drive-in, so it's the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association is what this group is called. And a lot of people involved with that are involved with NATO to represent the drive-in's point of view. So they figure out what they're interested in and then they bring it to the bigger organization. So the two are very interconnected, but they also have an annual conference and then they have a fall gathering. So they they visit other each other's drive-ins they share information it's basically just like an industry um industry association you know of of these owners especially because most of them are family owned at this point they're not really corporations um sometimes they're corporations but they're family owned corporations that might have multiple locations um and there's a few other little sub driving groups that communicate as well but um but that's the main one that's organized. Do and they, are actually, they... I went to their conference this year. You know how I was saying I went to one mm -hmm. pre-pandemic to tell them I wanted to make this movie. I went this year and they actually made me an honorary member of the organization, which was quite a nice surprise because um, yeah. I've spent so much time visiting drive-ins <laughs> and trying to help get the word out. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that is that is nice. I mean, are there are there things that they uh, band together to uh, either lobby for or like ideas that they take to their local, um, uh, you know, city councils and that sort of thing? I, I'm curious just if there's a, you know, because usually when you talk to a, a like group a like NATO, there's a lobbying side. Yeah, there's a political side. Well, I think yeah. um, there was around the digital projection. So when that happened, if they were not organized, um, it might've gone the way people thought that drive-ins would have never made that conversion to digital. But um, through the group, they raised the issues that drive-ins were being ignored throughout this conversion process and that they needed some of the similar support that the studios were giving to the chains. And so they did band together. They did lobby, they worked through NATO and, um, they probably would not have survived if they had not had some sort of organization around that. So that's a big one. I think right now, some of the issues are just the terms. Some of the studios are, are giving are not so friendly to um, single screen and more, I guess you could say rural theaters, because, you know, if you've got to keep this, if you have a single screen, you have to keep the same movie on screen for three or four weeks and you can't change it and you can't use Tuesday night yeah. to do a retro movie or whatever. And, um, you know, it, it makes it really hard. Um, in some of those markets, you have to change the movie more often. And so I think there's some, um, it, it's not just drive-ins, but all the independently owned cinemas um, are trying to get some of those things adjusted in the industry to help their survival. Yeah, I mean, just for, uh, so people know, I mean, one of the, the big uh, one of the, one of the big studios in this in this realm is Disney, which requires if you want to show a new Marvel movie, you have to give it the nicest theater. If you're in a multiplex, you have to give it the nicest theater in your uh, place for you know some X number of weeks and days or weekends or however that works. And I have heard the same thing from single single theater owners that the the the, the, the they they have just stopped showing some of the Marvel movies because it's like we can't have weekend number five of Ant Man. When we've got, you know, the new screen movie coming out, that doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, I, the, I, you, you mentioned your documentary Stunt Women, uh, The Untold Hollywood Story. And I, I did actually want to ask you one thing real quick, because I the last week I talked to uh, a couple of writers from Vulture who kind of spearheaded their stunt stunt person awards uh, thing. It was very, very kind of fun and, and cool. Um, I was I was curious to get your take on the idea of a stunts category, stunt coordination, stunt performer category, something like that in the Oscars. Do you think that's a good idea? Bad idea? Is that something? Oh, that, that's that, been uh, a huge fight going on for a long time. I know, I know. <laughs> so, so um, there are some organizations that recognize stunts. So the Taurus World Stunt Association has been giving stunt awards for a long time. It used to be televised. It's not anymore. Um, And SAG has a stunt category. The Emmys has a stunt category, but the Oscars do not. And so it's sort of the only organization still out there that is not recognizing stunts. And um, some of the stunt people were saying it's because, you know, they're the, you know, arts and sciences is what the Academy is focused on. And stunts really are an art and a science. So they try to make Mm -hmm. that case. And what's funny is a lot of times when they show clips from movies at the Oscars, what they're showing are clips with the stunt performers, not even the actors. (laughs) And, um, in making a lot of these films that are really action and stunt oriented, 
a lot of times the stunt sequences are what's being shot first. Um, so they're, yeah, they're, they're very important to the industry, especially now. And I think they do deserve that recognition. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. I don't want, I don't want to focus yeah. too much on this. We got new movie out back to the drive-in. Uh, it's on VOD. Uh, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If there's anything uh, you think folks should know about, uh, drive-ins, about your movie, about uh, anything, what, what, what should I have asked that I, I did not? Well, I, I think you to? asked very good questions, uh, about, about the drive-in. Yeah. I just think, uh, what I hope happens is that people find this film and either it, you know, reminds them of the drive-in or even if they haven't been for a long time that they look into which drive-ins are near them and go visit them, check them out, support them. If you want them to be around for the future, that's what we have to do is just go out and support them. So I hope people get inspired to go to go back to the drive-in, like the title says, um, once they see this film. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, April. I really appreciate it. Um, again, the name of the movie is Back to the Drive-In. It's on VOD. Go check it out. Uh, you can rent it, uh, watch it. It's it's if you if you are interested in the world of drive-ins, I, I promise you, you will find lots of fascinating. Um, uh, if you love, if you love uh, movies, if you love cinema, if you like love, anybody, yeah. <laughs> If you love movies, uh, if you love movies, check it out. Again, the the interesting thing here is the the personalities of some of these owners. I think you could describe them as American originals. Would be a one one one. I love to, that. Yes. Um, <laughs> to to think about them, uh, but check it out again on VOD now. Um, uh, thank you for being on the show again. Uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. I am the culture editor at the Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.